Section 8 of Gorgias by Plato Translated by Benjamin Jowett This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Johnson Callicles By the gods, and I will. Tell me, Socrates, are you in earnest, or only in jest? For if you are in earnest, and what you say is true, is not the whole of human life turned upside down? And are we not doing, as would appear, in everything the opposite of what we ought to be doing? Socrates, O Callicles, if there were not some community of feelings among mankind, however varying in different persons, I mean to say, if every man's feelings were peculiar to himself and were not shared by the rest of his species, I do not see how we could ever communicate our impressions to one another. I make this remark because I perceive that you and I have a common feeling, for we are lovers both, and both of us have two loves apiece. I am the lover of Alcibiades, the son of Cleinias, and of philosophy, and you of the Athenian Demas, and of Demas, the son of Pyrilampes. Now, I observe that you, with all your cleverness, do not venture to contradict your favorite in any word or opinion of his, but as he changes, you change, backwards and forwards. When the Athenian Demas denies anything that you are saying in the assembly, you go over to his opinion, and you do the same with Demas, the fair young son of Pyrilampes, for you have not the power to resist the words and ideas of your loves. And if a person were to express surprise at the strangeness of what you say from time to time, when under their influence, you would probably reply to him, if you were honest, that you cannot help saying what your loves say unless they are prevented, and that you can only be silent when they are. Now you must understand that my words are an echo too, and therefore you need not wonder at me, but if you want to silence me, silence philosophy who is my love for she is always telling me what i am now telling you my friend neither is she capricious like my other love for the son of cleinias says one thing to-day and another thing to-morrow but philosophy is always true she is the teacher at whose words you are now wondering and you have heard her yourself her you must refute and either show as i was saying that to do injustice and to escape punishment is not the worst of all evils, or, if you leave her word unrefuted, by the dog the god of Egypt, I declare, O Callicles, that Callicles will never be at one with himself, but that his whole life will be a discord. And yet, my friend, I would rather that my lyre should be inharmonious, and that there should be no music in the chorus which I provided, I, or that the whole world should be at odds with me and oppose me rather than that i myself should be at odds with myself and contradict myself callicles o socrates you are a regular declaimer and seem to be running riot in the argument and now you are declaiming in this way because paulus has fallen into the same error himself of which he accused gorgias for he said that when Gorgias was asked by you whether, if someone came to him who wanted to learn rhetoric and did not know justice, 
he would teach him justice. Gorgias, in his modesty, replied that he would, because he thought that mankind in general would be displeased if he answered no. And then, in consequence of this admission, Gorgias was compelled to contradict himself, that being just the sort of thing in which you delight. Whereupon Paulus laughed at you deservedly, as I think. But now he has himself fallen into the same trap. I cannot say very much for his wit when he conceded to you that to do is more dishonorable than to suffer injustice, for this was the admission which led to his being entangled by you. And because he was too modest to say what he thought, he had his mouth stopped. For the truth is, Socrates, that you, who pretend to be engaged in the pursuit of truth, are appealing now to the popular and vulgar notions of right, which are not natural but only conventional. Convention and nature are generally at variance with one another, and hence, if a person is too modest to say what he thinks, he is compelled to contradict himself, and you, in your ingenuity perceiving the advantage to be thereby gained, slyly ask of him who is arguing conventionally a question which is to be determined by the rule of nature. And if he is talking of the rule of nature, you slip away to custom, as for instance you did in this very discussion about doing and suffering injustice. When Paulus was speaking of the conventionally dishonorable, you assailed him from the point of view of nature, for by the rule of nature to suffer injustice is the greater disgrace because the greater evil. But conventionally, to do evil is the more disgraceful. For the suffering of injustice is not the part of a man, but of a slave, who indeed had better die than live, since when he is wronged and trampled upon he is unable to help himself or any other about whom he cares. The reason, as I conceive, is that the makers of laws are the majority who are weak, and they make laws and distribute praises and censures with a view to themselves and to their own interests, and they terrify the stronger sort of men and those who are able to get the better of them, in order that they may not get the better of them, and they say that dishonesty is shameful and unjust, meaning by the word injustice the desire of a man to have more than his neighbors. For knowing their own inferiority, I suspect that they are too glad of equality, and therefore the endeavor to have more than the many is conventionally said to be shameful and unjust, and is called injustice. Parentheses, compare Republic. End of parentheses. Whereas nature herself intimates that it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the more powerful than the weaker, and in many ways she shows, among men as well as among animals, and indeed among whole cities and races, that justice consists in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. For on what principle of justice did Xerxes invade Hellas, or his father the Scythians? Not to speak of numberless other examples. Nay, but these are the men who act according to nature, yes, by heaven, and according to the law of nature, not perhaps according to that artificial law which we invent and impose upon our fellows, of whom we take the best and strongest from their youth upwards, and tame them like young lions. 
charming them with the sound of the voice, and saying to them that with equality they must be content, and that the equal is the honourable and the just. But if there were a man who had sufficient force, he would shake off and break through, and escape from all this. He would trample underfoot all our formulas and spells and charms, and all our laws which are against nature. The slave would rise in rebellion and be lowered over us, and the light of natural justice would shine forth. And this I take to be the sentiment of Pindar, when he says in his poem that law is the king of all, of mortals as well as of immortals. This, as he says, makes might to be right, doing violence with highest hand, as I infer from the deeds of Heracles, for without buying them, footnote, fragment, insert, 151, Bach, end of footnote. I do not remember the exact words, but the meaning is that without buying them, and without their being given to him, he carried off the oxen of Geryon, according to the law of natural right, and that the oxen and other possessions of the weaker and inferior properly belong to the stronger and superior. And this is true, as you may ascertain, if you will leave philosophy and go on to higher things. For philosophy, Socrates, if pursued in moderation and at the proper age, is an elegant accomplishment, but too much philosophy is the ruin of human life. Even if a man has good parts, still, if he carries philosophy into later life, he is necessarily ignorant of all those things which a gentleman and a person of honour ought to know. He is inexperienced in the laws of the state, and in the language which ought to be used in the dealings of man with man, whether private or public, and utterly ignorant of the pleasures and desires of mankind and of human character in general, and people of this sort, when they betake themselves to politics or business, are as ridiculous as I imagine the politicians to be when they make their appearance in the arena of philosophy, for, as Euripides says, every man shines in that and pursues that, and devotes the greatest portion of the day to that in which he most excels. Footnote. Antiope, Fragment 20, Dindorf, End of footnote. But anything in which he is inferior, he avoids and depreciates, and praises the opposite from partiality to himself, and because he thinks that he will thus praise himself. The true principle is to unite them. Philosophy, as a part of education, is an excellent thing, and there is no disgrace to a man while he is young in pursuing such a study. But when he is more advanced in years, the thing becomes ridiculous. And I feel towards philosophers as I do towards those who lisp and imitate children. For I love to see a little child, who is not of an age, to speak plainly, lisping at his play. There is an appearance of grace and freedom in his utterance, which is natural to his childish years. But when I hear some small creature carefully articulating its words, I am offended. The sound is disagreeable, and has to my ears the twang of slavery. So when I hear a man lisping, or see him playing like a child, his behavior appears to me ridiculous and unmanly, and worthy of stripes. And I have the same feeling about students of philosophy. When I see a youth thus engaged, the study appears to me to be in character, 
and becoming a man of liberal education, and him who neglects philosophy I regard as an inferior man, who will never aspire to anything great or noble. But if I see him continuing the study in later life, and not leaving off, I should like to beat him, Socrates, for, as I was saying, such a one, even though he have good natural parts, becomes effeminate. He flies from the busy centre and the marketplace, in which, as the poet says, men become distinguished. He creeps into a corner for the rest of his life, and talks in a whisper with three or four admiring youths, but never speaks out like a free man in a satisfactory manner. Now I, Socrates, am very well inclined towards you, and my feeling may be compared with that of Zethus towards Amphion, in the play of Euripides, whom I was mentioning just now, for I am disposed to say to you much what Zethus said to his brother, that you, Socrates, are careless about the things of which you ought to be careful, and that you, who have a soul so noble, are remarkable for a puerile exterior. Neither in a court of justice could you state a case, or give any reason or proof, or offer valiant counsel on another's behalf. And you must not be offended, my dear Socrates, for I am speaking out of good will towards you, if I ask whether you are not ashamed of being thus defenceless, which I affirm to be the condition not of you only, but of all those who will carry the study of philosophy too far. For suppose that someone were to take you, or any one of your sort, off to prison, declaring that you had done wrong when you had done no wrong, you must allow that you would not know what to do. There you would stand giddy and gaping, and not having a word to say, and when you went up before the court, even if the accuser were a poor creature and not good for much, you would die if he were disposed to claim the penalty of death. And yet, Socrates, what is the value of an art which converts a man of sense into a fool, who is helpless and has no power to save either himself or others, when he is in the greatest danger and is going to be despoiled by his enemies of all his goods, and has to live simply deprived of his rights of citizenship, he being a man who, if I may use the expression, may be boxed on the ears with impunity, then, my good friend, take my advice and refute no more. Learn the philosophy of business and acquire the reputation of wisdom, but leave to others these niceties, whether they are to be described as follies or absurdities, for they will only give you poverty for the inmate of your dwelling. Cease then emulating these paltry splitters of words, and emulate only the man of substance and honour who is well to do. Socrates, if my soul, Callicles, were made of gold, should I not rejoice to discover one of those stones with which they test gold, and the very best possible one to which I might bring my soul? And if the stone and I agreed in approving of her training, then I should know that I was in a satisfactory state, and that no other test was needed by me. Callicles, what is your meaning, Socrates? Socrates, I will tell you, I think that I have found in you the desired touchstone. Callicles, why? Socrates, because I am sure that if you agree with me in any of the opinions which my soul forms, 
I have at last found the truth indeed, for I consider that if a man is to make a complete trial of the good or evil of the soul, he ought to have three qualities, knowledge, goodwill, outspokenness, which are all possessed by you. Many whom I meet are unable to make trial of me, because they are not wise as you are. Others are wise, but they will not tell me the truth, because they have not the same interest in me which you have. And these two strangers, Gorgias and Paulus, are undoubtedly wise men, and my very good friends, but they are not outspoken enough, and they are too modest. Why, their modesty is so great that they are driven to contradict themselves, first one and then the other of them, in the face of a large company, on matters of the highest moment. But you have all the qualities in which these others are deficient, having received an excellent education. To this many Athenians can testify, and you are my friend. Shall I tell you why I think so? I know that you, Callicles and Tisander of Aphidnae, and Andron, the son of Androtion, and Nausicides of the deme of Colarges, studied together. There were four of you, and I once heard you advising with one another as to the extent to which the pursuit of philosophy should be carried, and, as I know, you came to the conclusion that the study should not be pushed too much into detail. You were cautioning one another not to be overwise. You were afraid that too much wisdom might unconsciously, to yourselves, be the ruin of you. And now, when I hear you giving the same advice to me, which you then gave to your most intimate friends, I have a sufficient evidence of your real goodwill to me, and of the frankness of your nature and freedom from modesty I am assured by yourself, and the assurance is confirmed by your last speech. Well then, the inference in the present case clearly is, that if you agree with me in an argument about any point, that point will have been sufficiently tested by us, and will not require to be submitted to any further test. For you could not have agreed with me, either from lack of knowledge or from superfluity of modesty, nor yet from a desire to deceive me, for you are my friend, as you tell me yourself, and therefore when you and I are agreed, the result will be the attainment of perfect truth. Now there is no nobler inquiry, Callicles, than that which you censure me for making. What ought the character of a man to be, and what his pursuits? And how far is he to go, both in maturer years and in youth? For be assured that if I err in my conduct, I do not err intentionally, but from ignorance. Do not then desist from advising me, now that you have begun, until I have learned clearly what this is which I am to practice, and how I may acquire it. And if you find me assenting to your words, and hereafter not doing that to which I assented, call me dolt and deem me unworthy of receiving further instruction. Once more, then, tell me what you and Pindar mean by natural justice. Do you not mean that the superior should take the property of the inferior by force? That the better should rule the worse? The noble have more than the mean? Am I not right in my recollection? Callicles, yes, that is what I was saying, and so I still aver. Socrates. And do you mean by the better the same as the superior? For I could not make out what you were saying at the time, whether you meant by the superior the stronger, 
and that the weaker must obey the stronger, as you seem to imply when you said that great cities attack small ones in accordance with natural right, because they are superior and stronger, as though the superior and stronger and better were the same, or whether the better may be also the inferior and weaker, and the superior the worse, or whether better is to be defined in the same way as superior, this is the point which I want to have cleared up. Are the superior and better and stronger the same or different? Callicles, I say unequivocally that they are the same. Socrates, then the many are by nature superior to the one, against whom, as you were saying, they make the laws. Callicles, certainly. Socrates, then the laws of the many are the laws of the superior. Callicles, very true. Socrates, then they are the laws of the better, for the superior class are far better, as you were saying. Callicles, yes. Socrates, and since they are superior, the laws which are made by them are by nature good. Callicles, yes. Socrates, and are not the many of opinion, as you were lately saying, that justice is equality, and that to do is more disgraceful than to suffer injustice? Is that so or not? Answer, Callicles, and let no modesty be found to come in the way. Do the many think, or do they not think thus? I must beg of you to answer, in order that if you agree with me I may fortify myself by the assent of so competent an authority. Callicles, yes, the opinion of the many is what you say. Socrates, then not only custom, but nature also affirms that to do is more disgraceful than to suffer injustice, and that justice is equality, so that you seem to have been wrong in your former assertion, when accusing me you said that nature and custom are opposed, and that I, knowing this, was dishonestly playing between them appealing to custom when the argument is about nature, and to nature when the argument is about custom. Callicles, this man will never cease talking nonsense. At your age, Socrates, are you not ashamed to be catching at words and chuckling over some verbal slip? Do you not see, have I not told you already, that by superior I mean better? Do you imagine me to say that if a rabble of slaves and nondescripts, who are of no use except perhaps for their physical strength, get together, their ipsissima verba are laws? Socrates, ho, my philosopher, is that your line? Callicles, certainly. Socrates, I was thinking, Callicles, that something of the kind must have been in your mind, and that is why I repeated the question. What is the superior? I wanted to know clearly what you meant, for you surely do not think that two men are better than one, or that your slaves are better than you because they are stronger. Then please to begin again and tell me who the better are, if they are not the stronger, and I will ask you, great sir, to be a little milder in your instructions, or I shall have to run away from you. Callicles, you are ironical. Socrates, no, by the hero Zethus, Callicles, by whose aid you were just now saying many ironical things against me, I am not. Tell me, then, whom you mean by the better. 
Callicles, I mean the more excellent. Socrates, do you not see that you are yourself using words which have no meaning, and that you are explaining nothing? Will you tell me whether you mean by the better and superior, the wiser, or if not, whom? Callicles, most assuredly, I do mean the wiser. Socrates, then according to you, one wise man may often be superior to ten thousand fools, and he ought to rule them, and they ought to be his subjects, and he ought to have more than they should. This is what I believe that you mean, and you must not suppose that I am worth catching, if you allow that the one is superior to the ten thousand. Callicles, yes, that is what I mean, and that is what I conceive to be natural justice, that the better and wiser should rule and have more than the inferior. Socrates, stop there and let me ask you what you would say in this case. Let us suppose that we are all together as we are now. There are several of us, and we have a large common store of meats and drinks, and there are all sorts of persons in our company having various degrees of strength and weakness, and one of us, being a physician, is wiser in the matter of food than all the rest, and he is probably stronger than some, and not so strong as others of us. Will he not, being wiser, be also better than we are, and are superior in this matter of food? Callicles, certainly. Socrates, either then he will have a larger share of the meats and drinks, because he is better, or he will have the distribution of all of them by reason of his authority, but he will not expend or make use of a larger share of them on his own person, or if he does, he will be punished. His share will exceed that of some, and be less than that of others, and if he be the weakest of all, he being the best of all will have the smallest share of all. Callicles, am I not right, my friend? Callicles, you talk about meats and drinks and physicians and other nonsense. I am not speaking of them. Socrates, well, but do you admit that the wiser is the better? Answer yes or no. Callicles, yes. Socrates, and ought not the better to have a larger share? Callicles, not of meats and drinks. Socrates, I understand, then perhaps of coats. The skilfulest weaver ought to have the largest coat, and the greatest number of them, and go about clothed in the best and finest of them. Callicles, fudge about coats. Socrates, then the skilfulest and best in making shoes ought to have the advantage in shoes. The shoemaker, clearly, should walk about in the largest shoes, and have the greatest number of them. Callicles, fudge about shoes. What nonsense are you talking? Socrates, or if this is not your meaning, perhaps you would say that the wise and good and true husbandman should actually have a larger share of seeds, and have as much seed as possible for his own land. Callicles, how you go on, always talking in the same way, Socrates. Socrates, yes, Callicles, and also about the same things. Callicles, Yes, by the gods, you are literally always talking of cobblers and fullers, and cooks and doctors, as if this had to do with our argument. Socrates, 
but why will you not tell me in what a man must be superior and wiser in order to claim a larger share will you neither accept a suggestion nor offer one callicles i have already told you in the first place i mean by superiors not cobblers or cooks but wise politicians who understand the administration of a state and who are not only wise but also valiant and able to carry out their designs and not the men to faint from want of soul socrates see now most excellent callicles how different my charge against you is from that which you bring against me for you reproach me with always saying the same but i reproach you with never saying the same about the same things for at one time you were defining the better and the superior to be the stronger then again as the wiser and now you bring forward a new notion the superior and the better are now declared by you to be the more courageous i wish my good friend that you would tell me once for all whom you affirm to be the better and superior and in what they are better callicles i have already told you that i mean those who are wise and courageous in the administration of a state they ought to be the rulers of their states and justice consists in their having more than their subjects socrates but whether rulers or subjects will they or will they not have more than themselves my friend callicles what do you mean socrates i mean that every man is his own ruler but perhaps you think that there is no necessity for him to rule himself he is only required to rule others callicles what do you mean by his ruling over himself socrates a simple thing enough just what is commonly said that a man should be temperate and master of himself and ruler of his own pleasures and passions callicles what innocence you mean those fools the temperate socrates certainly any one may know that to be my meaning callicles quite so socrates and they are really fools for how can a man be happy who is the servant of anything on the contrary i plainly assert that he who would truly live ought to allow his desires to wax to the uttermost and not to chastise them but when they have grown to their greatest he should have courage and intelligence to minister to them and to satisfy all his longings and this i affirm to be natural justice and nobility to this however the many cannot attain and they blame the strong man because they are ashamed of their own weakness which they desire to conceal and hence they say that intemperance is base as i have remarked already they enslave the nobler natures and being unable to satisfy their pleasures they praise temperance and justice out of their own cowardice for if a man had been originally the son of a king or had a nature capable of acquiring an empire or a tyranny or sovereignty what could be more truly base or evil than temperance to a man like him i say who might freely be enjoying every good and has no one to stand in his way and yet has admitted custom and reason and the opinion of other men to be lords over him must not he be in a miserable plight whom the reputation of justice and temperance hinders from giving more to his friends than to his enemies even though he be a ruler in his city nay socrates 
for you profess to be a votary of the truth and the truth is this that luxury and intemperance and license if they be provided with means are virtue and happiness all the rest is a mere bauble agreements contrary to nature foolish talk of men nothing worth footnote compare republic end of footnote socrates there is a noble freedom callicles in your way of approaching the argument for what you say is what the rest of the world think but do not like to say and i must beg of you to persevere that the true rule of human life may become manifest tell me then you say do you not that in the rightly developed man the passions ought not to be controlled but that we should let them grow to the utmost and somehow or other satisfy them and that this is virtue callicles yes i do socrates then those who want nothing are not truly said to be happy callicles no indeed for then stones and dead men would be the happiest of all socrates but surely life according to your view is an awful thing and indeed i think that euripides may have been right in saying who knows if life be not death and death life and that we are very likely dead i have heard a philosopher say that at this moment we are actually dead and that the body soma is our tomb sema footnote compare phaedrus end of footnote and that the part of the soul which is the seat of the desires is liable to be tossed about by words and blown up and down and some ingenious person probably a sicilian or an italian playing with the word invented a tale in which he called the soul because of its believing and make-believe nature a vessel footnote an untranslatable pun dieto pithanon tekai pistikon onomase pithon and a footnote and the ignorant he called the uninitiated or leaky and the place in the souls of the uninitiated in which the desires are seated being the intemperate and incontinent part he compared to a vessel full of holes because it can never be satisfied he is not of your way of thinking callicles for he declares that of all the souls in hades meaning the invisible world Iades, these uninitiated or leaky persons are the most miserable and that they pour water into a vessel which is full of holes out of a colander which is similarly perforated the colander as my informer assures me is the soul and the soul which he compares to a colander is the soul of the ignorant which is likewise full of holes and therefore incontinent owing to a bad memory and want of faith these notions are strange enough but they show the principle which if i can i would fain prove to you that you should change your mind and instead of the intemperate and insatiate life choose that which is orderly and sufficient and has a due provision for daily needs do i make any impression on you and are you coming over to the opinion that the orderly are happier than the intemperate or do i fail to persuade you and however many tales i rehearse to you do you continue of the same opinion still callicles the latter socrates is more like the truth 
Socrates. Well, I will tell you another image which comes out of the same school. Let me request you to consider how far you would accept this as an account of the two lives of the temperate and intemperate in a figure. There are two men, both of whom have a number of casks. The one man has his casks sound and full, one of wine, another of honey, and a third of milk, besides others filled with other liquids, and the streams which fill them are few and scanty, and he can only obtain them with a great deal of toil and difficulty. But when his casks are once filled, he has no need to feed them any more, and has no further trouble with them or care about them. The other, in like manner, can procure streams, though not without difficulty, but his vessels are leaky and unsound, and night and day he is compelled to be filling them, and if he pauses for a moment, he is in an agony of pain. Such are their respective lives. And now, would you say that the life of the intemperate is happier than that of the temperate? Do I not convince you that the opposite is the truth? Callicles, you do not convince me, Socrates, for the one who has filled himself has no longer any pleasure left. And this, as I was just now saying, is the life of a stone. He has neither joy nor sorrow after he is once filled, but the pleasure depends on the superabundance of the influx. Socrates, but the more you pour in, the greater the waste, and the holes must be large for the liquid to escape. Callicles, certainly. Socrates, the life which you are now depicting is not that of a dead man or of a stone, but of a cormorant. You mean that he is to be hungering and eating? Callicles, yes. Socrates, and he is to be thirsting and drinking? Callicles, yes. That is what I mean. He is to have all his desires about him, and to be able to live happily in the gratification of them. Socrates, capital, excellent. Go on as you have begun, and have no shame. I too must disencumber myself of shame. And first, will you tell me whether you include itching and scratching, provided you have enough of them and pass your life in scratching, in your notion of happiness? Callicles, what a strange being you are, Socrates, a regular mob orator. Socrates, that was the reason, Callicles, why I scared Paulus and Gorgias, until they were too modest to say what they thought. But you will not be too modest, and will not be scared, for you are a brave man. And now answer my question. Callicles, I answer, that even the scratcher would live pleasantly. Socrates, and if pleasantly, then also happily? Callicles, to be sure. Socrates, but what if the itching is not confined to the head? Shall I pursue the question? And here, Callicles, I would have you consider how you would reply if consequences are pressed upon you, especially if in the last resort you are asked whether the life of a catamite is not terrible, foul, miserable. Or would you venture to say that they too are happy if they only get enough of what they want? Callicles, are you not ashamed, Socrates, of introducing such topics into the argument? Socrates, well, my fine friend, 
but am i the introducer of these topics or he who says without any qualification that all who feel pleasure in whatever manner are happy and who admits of no distinction between good and bad pleasures and i would still ask whether you say that pleasure and good are the same or whether there is some pleasure which is not a good callicles well then for the sake of consistency i will say that they are the same socrates you are breaking the original agreement callicles and will no longer be a satisfactory companion in the search after truth if you say what is contrary to your real opinion callicles why that is what you are doing too socrates socrates then we are both doing wrong still my dear friend i would ask you to consider whether pleasure from whatever source derived is the good for if this be true then the disagreeable consequences which have been darkly intimated must follow and many others callicles that socrates is only your opinion socrates and do you callicles seriously maintain what you are saying callicles indeed i do socrates then as you are in earnest shall we proceed with the argument callicles by all means footnote or i am in profound earnest end a footnote end of part eight recording by kevin johnson